Thanks so much, Cheryl. Um, beautiful readings, aren't they? Um, I'm going to get you to do some work, all right? To begin with, first of all, let me say, uh, if you haven't met me before, my name's Dave, I'm the Senior Minister here. Um, also, if taking notes is helpful, there's some sermon outlines up the front and up the back. If reading a transcript is helpful and helps you to follow along, there's also a transcript of the sermon up the back as well. But as I said, I'm going to get you to do some work. I want you to talk again to the person next to you and I want you to discuss this question on the screen. Um, It's the thought that counts. What do you think? Is it the thought that counts? Why don't you discuss that? with the person next to you for a a couple of minutes. And if you need to get up and get a transcript, now's a good time to do it. take uh, 30 seconds or so more and then we'll um, come back and talk about it. It's, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for um, answers from the floor as to what you thought the answer to that was. I, I think we would probably say they both do. Um, the, the thought and action matters. It's not merely the thought that counts. You, you kind of don't want to just stumble your way through caring for people. You want to actually get to be informed. But thought thought and action go together, don't they? But it's the thoughtful action that seems to be the most special ones, um, the ones that are the most powerful, where the deed reveals something of the heart, that it reveals a kind and gracious heart. Uh, Let me tell you an act of kindness that um, I experienced a a couple of weeks ago. I was um, in the office and I was I was checking my pigeonhole, which if you know anything about my pigeonhole, it doesn't get checked that often. <laughs> it's loaded. Well, everyone else is all thin with one or two things in it. Mine's just... Anyway, but I went and checked and I found a card. Now, as many of you might know, um, my son Bailey had some big surgery a few weeks back. And what's more, it was one that didn't get a whole lot of coverage from Medicare and stuff. And we, we, were, we were out tens of thousands of dollars um, in doing it. And um, anyway, so I found this card... And I opened it up and it was a handwritten note from a a member of this congregation and it had some money in it. And it was something just to say, we know that this was expensive and um, that's been a hard time and so just thought that you might um, uh, like a gift to help contribute towards it. Now, I know the person, I know they're not loaded and it was quite generous. But let me tell you, the, the kindness was worth 10 times the money that was in there. Um, and it was just a, a, a very, very beautiful sign that somebody really cares and that their care actually translated into um, sacrificial action that was a blessing for us um, and won't be forgotten as well. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I also had the first reading as being that chapter from Ruth. 
Um, I know that a lot of you love the book of Ruth and there's a reason for it. And, and that chapter is just loaded with kindness, isn't it? It's, it's got Ruth who in her kindness um, uh, leaves her own country and leaves her parents and goes across with her, her mother-in-law whose husband had died and whose sons, whom Ruth was married to, had died. And she, she cared for her mother-in-law who was all alone and became a stranger for her sake. And then you saw the picture of, of Boaz who, who was um, thoughtfully, who ate, noticed what Ruth was doing and then cared for Ruth and tried to protect her and made sure that he was generous with what he had. And then you've got Naomi who is all rejoicing in all of this. And But did you notice what she, she, the kindness that she saw behind it? The kindness of God, the kindness that God had showed to her, both the living and the dead and being able to provide so abundantly for him. It's just, it's just a chapter that's kindness from beginning to end. You see, there's something about kindness that just makes you go, wow. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. And in, in my view, it is one of the greatest compliments that you could give a person, is to say that they are kind. Now, we're at week five of our series in the Fruit of the Spirit, and we looked together at love and joy and peace and forbearance, and I was finding that forbearance really quite helpful as I was listening to that car alarm, and uh, and, and I probably need to kind of keep remembering forbearance, forbearance, forbearance. Um, so we're up to our fifth one, and we today we get to look at this most beautiful of gifts, kindness. But to begin with, it's probably worth trying to work out what really is. Let's understand what specifically we're talking about. What is kindness? Well, the Greek word itself has got quite a broad meaning. Kindness is the quality of being helpful or beneficial. It's related to generosity in that we might say that to provide something beneficial for someone is an act of kindness. It's it's something that has been produced by kindness within. And, And it was considered to be a noble virtue. That What I mean by that is in classical Greek literature, the noun... uh, acquired the meaning of friendliness and mildness and was often used in inscriptions as a title of honour for rulers and for important figures. They got the label kind attached to them. It was kind of a sign of their noble heart, right? But let's go back to that phrase, act of kindness, because that reveals a bit, doesn't it? Kindness is predominantly an internal virtue that expresses itself externally in a variety of ways. Kindness is a heart that cares about others and has a preference for grace. So when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, you'll notice that there are many overlapping aspects to kindness, goodness and gentleness, for instance, as, as three there. As I mentioned last week, another image that we might want to use when thinking about the fruit of the Spirit is is thinking of a gemstone that's got a whole bunch of facets to it. It's one stone, just as the word for fruit in Galatians is, is a singular word, but there are different facets of a life that is shaped by God's Holy Spirit. They connect with one another, but they highlight slightly different virtues. And so if we think of those facets, kindness, goodness and gentleness, they're all gracious virtues, but kindness is the gracious heart, goodness is the gracious action and gentleness is the gracious manner. So kindness is a gracious heart, goodness is a gracious action, 
or act, and gentleness is the gracious manner. Now, another thing worth saying is that you can see how each must be accompanied by the other. Right, so for instance, if your kind heart, your, 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 your heart goes out to people, but it never translates into action, it's self-deceived, isn't it? There's something empty about it. How can a kind heart view people graciously without putting it into action and still really be considered kind? Likewise, the good act that's detached from a gracious heart, it might impress others, might even be appreciated, but it won't impress God who sees the cold, disinterested or selfish, self-serving heart perhaps that produced it. It's empty. Both kindness and goodness are love in action but one focuses attention on the attitude and the other one on the activity. So, as we, with all of the fruit of the Spirit, we want to see, first of all, how God exemplifies this virtue. It is a fruit of His Spirit in you. So, what is it about God? How does He show His kindness? Uh, One really helpful passage on this front is from Isaiah 63. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which He is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their saviour. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. So the good that God has done for his people Israel is this wonderful demonstration of his kind and compassionate, merciful and loving heart. And do you see how those kind of interact with one another, almost interchange with one another as concepts? God's kind heart is stirred by his people's distress and so he then acts. But here's the thing with God's kindness. It's a virtue that is entirely to God's credit, to his praise. What I mean by that is is that it's not necessarily demanded or deserved by the objects of his kindness. His kindness is a glorious trait of him, a praiseworthy aspect of his heart, not something to which the receiver of that kindness is necessarily entitled. It's gracious. Now, this comes out in Jesus' teaching on loving your enemies in Luke chapter 6. Have a look at this. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You see how kindness and mercy in God are almost equivalent. And of course, there is no demonstration of God's kindness that's more powerful than his kindness shown in Jesus. Look at Ephesians 2 and the collection of heart words that this contains. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ 
Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. See, our salvation in Jesus is the work of a loving, merciful and generous God who has chosen to express kindness towards sinners instead of leaving us forever wallowing in our sin and dead in it. Jesus is the expression of God's kind and gracious heart, the embodiment of it. Again, did you notice this in our New Testament reading from Titus 3? But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, His kindness appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Jesus is the kindness of God made manifest. The proof that his heart is not quick to judge. His heart is not vengeful or ruthless. It's not without pity or mercy, but is inherently generous, inherently compassionate. It goes out to people. But one other thing to note here about God's kindness, notice that there is an abundance in God right, that expresses itself in his kindness towards us, right, that there is a a wealth of sorts that can afford to be so open and so generous to others. Great love, rich mercy, incomparable riches of his grace, poured out generously. Kindness, in other words, is not some kind of emotional neediness. It's quite the opposite. And that is why the word, as I said, was used so often of benevolent kings or rulers. It's a noble attitude of one who doesn't have to grasp after what is good to get it for themselves so that other people become rivals to them. Instead, it's something that out of their abundance... They can apply their emotional energy to improving the state of others. Just think, which person would you consider full, out of these two illustrations, which person would you consider full and which person would you consider empty? First, the mean-spirited billionaire with a motor yacht and house at Point Piper, who's always fighting with their grasping children, fires off lawsuits against anyone who's the remotest threat to their business or the kind-hearted person living in housing commission on a pension who volunteers at the local Anglicare, makes meals for their sick neighbour, always seems to remember people's birthdays and sends cards and handwritten notes of congratulations or condolence to the people that she knows whether in good time or bad. Who's rich? Who's full? And who is empty? See, kindness is the product of a full heart. Stinginess, 
is the product of an empty one. And God's is the fullest heart of all. But one thing that does need to be said about God's kindness is this. One of the greatest mistakes that people can make is to take God's kindness for granted. To presume upon it. To mistake his gracious heart for being an indulgent or undiscerning one. God's kindness should generate a grateful response for the one who experiences it. And if we abuse his kindness, it will not go unnoticed. Does it with us? Certainly won't with him. And twice, Paul makes this point in Romans. So once in Romans 2, have a look over here. So when you, a mere human being, so he's talking about judgmental people. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? Not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And he says the same thing when he's addressing non-Jewish Christians who now can be God's people, partly because the Jewish nation had rejected their own Messiah. So this is what he talks about in Romans 9 to 11. Have a look at Romans 11 here. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches if you do consider this. You do not support the root, the root supports you. And you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And so consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. In other words, responding rightly to it. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So kindness is not just some sort of blank check and some sort of lazy indulgence from God. God's kindness is something to be cherished and responded to and not least by showing that same kindness to other people. And so for the rest of this talk, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at it. We're going to do some work on our hearts. We're going to do a bit of a a kindness x-ray And we're going to begin by examining, as you sometimes do with an x-ray, what shouldn't be there, but is. We're going to do some diagnosing of our unkindnesses. So as we hold up the x-ray, what are we on alert for as we search our hearts? What are the unkindnesses that don't belong there? Well, Paul throws a few suggestions our way. Among the works of the flesh that are opposed to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, Paul mentions a a few that certainly appear to reflect an absence of kindness. See these ones on the screen here? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy. Titus 3, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And even in 1 Corinthians 13, yes, 1 Corinthians 13 is about love, but kindness is a form of love. And look at what Paul says straight after he mentions the fact that love is patient, like we looked at last week, and love is kind. 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonour others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. So notice how envy keeps popping up and pridefulness, malice, hatred, dishonouring other people. Another interesting one is 2 Timothy chapter 2. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind. See how there's a set in opposition to each other? Must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So being quarrelsome is contrasted with being kind as if they are opposed to one another. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever think of being argumentative as displaying an absence of kindness? Interesting, isn't it? God does. You know, there is a word that captures the heart of these unkind attitudes. We adults don't say it too much, but kids use it a lot. It's being mean. You're being mean. Right? Now, the kids equate the word to being nasty. But what the kids don't know, that many of us do, is that the word mean actually refers to a person who is ungenerous, who is tight, who is hard-hearted towards people. You see, that's what envy is. It's the inability to rejoice in someone else having something. It's mean. Same with malice and hatred. Looking to others not graciously or generously, but wishing them harm, not good. That's mean. That's the perverse opposite of a generous heart. And let's, let's look at quarrelsomeness. Stubbornly insisting on getting your way and not letting things go until you do is also stubbornly insisting that someone else doesn't get theirs. It's a form of resentment. Challenging and correcting people all the time. That's having, you know, knowledge or opinions that are all about you so that things will always align with what you want and what you think should happen and not seeking the good of others and not seeking to try and contribute to the whole or to the other person quarrelsomeness is about you and it's mean it's not generous and note that the kindness antidote in 2 Timothy isn't this interesting is teaching right that's giving knowledge so that others might benefit how else can our hearts be mean or ungracious when you're not prepared to give people the benefit of the doubt. How about that? When you lack forbearance and things always have to happen or people always have to change according to your schedule. When you're quick to write people off and you don't give them a chance as if God can't change things when we contribute to a culture of scepticism or suspicion 
Always looking for the false motives. Always assuming the people have got a hidden agenda and aren't being real with you. How mean is that? You can't read people's minds. You can't read their hearts. Why would you default to the worst option possible? And of course, as as Christians, we need to be on the lookout for all forms of prejudice, don't we? Prejudice is unkindness. Having hearts that are resistant to people just because of who they are and not because of anything that they may have done to us. It's mean and it's not kindness. It's selfish and tight with your affection instead of generous with it. Perhaps the most fundamental kind of mean heart is the heart that can't forgive. A heart that would rather hold on to the offence rather than give the offence away. A heart that would rather keep hostility than long to offer peace. Now what all of these things have in common is this self-centred protectiveness. Do you notice that about it? If I don't keep or if I don't assert this for myself, I'm going to be emptied in some way. I'm going to lose in some way. So I'm going to hoard it all close. A lack of kindness, you see, reveals this deep inner poverty. And it is so unnecessary for the Christian. Do we who have every spiritual blessing in Christ really have that little that we can't be free in giving what we do have away? But there's also a reasonable question that could be asked here, and that is, is kindness naive, right? That's fine, Dave, but isn't it just a little bit, you know, doesn't that seem to be viewing people through rose-coloured glasses and asking for trouble, being kind? Isn't that asking for people to take advantage of you? Now, of course, people can and, and, and will try to abuse kindness, and we need to go into our life with our eyes open. Right? And, and I mean, it was Jesus who said this in Matthew 10, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And we need to have a, a, a realistic understanding of sin and the way it works. So kindness doesn't mean jettisoning or wisdom. God is kind, but would you call God naive? Kindness doesn't play pretend, but kindness chooses to care, love and heal anyway. In fact, kindness without wisdom and kindness without a commitment to truth is actually dangerous and is enabling. But kindness is is not happy to leave people in a place where they're harming themselves or others, are they? Is it? And kindness does not mean happily watching on as people stride towards judgment or as they um, treat God's grace cheaply. Kindness is a heart for others and sometimes that kind heart is going to see the need for discipline because that is what will be most helpful rather than just trying to appease or indulge people. Love and kindness should always be guided by wisdom. Um, There's this great verse in Philippians chapter 1 where it says, 
Um, Paul says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may able to be, to, to discern what is best. Yeah, that, that your love might be accompanied by knowledge and discernment so that it might be good and helpful love, good and helpful kindness. But having said that, got to say this out loud too, kindness will lead you open to be hurt. If you are a kind person, you'll get hurt. It comes with the territory. Because sometimes your kindness will not be reciprocated. And sometimes it won't be recognised, despite all of your heart going out to a person. Sometimes it might not be appreciated. And sometimes, yes, you will be taken advantage of by someone who's trying to work you. And that hurts. So just imagine how God feels. And yet he's still kind and he doesn't stop being kind because that's who he is. And that's to his glory. And it'll be to our glory if we do the same. So let's now turn to the positive. How do you foster a kind heart. Well, it may help to think of kindness in terms of pursuing joyful readiness. Right? Pursuing joyful readiness. The Spirit stirs in us a readiness to do what is beneficial or helpful for other people. Having a heart that, for people that is looking to show mercy or compassion. Give me an excuse to be compassionate. Give me an excuse to be merciful, that the heart that's looking to forgive, that's looking to build other people up, a heart that's looking to encourage. You see, this is an outward-oriented heart, a heart that's looking to serve, that's looking to give, that's looking to be like Jesus for the sake of others and also to point them, other people, to him. May I do this so that others will see Jesus? That's, that's what a kind heart does. That's looking to share the wonderful fullness that we have in Jesus. And so here are some key things that may help us grow in kindness to finish off with. First, always pray. Starting to sound like a familiar application. All right, we're going to keep coming back to prayer in every single one of these talks and woe on us if we don't, right? Reflect on the ways, perhaps, and what, what do you pray? Well, reflect on the ways that you have failed to be kind. That's actually an important thing to do. And, and confess them to God and then ask for God's forgiveness and transformation. It's an important thing to do. You want to be kind, you've got to work on the unkindness bits and, and get God to help you with it. Pray that your heart for others will grow especially for those whom it's hard to think kindly of. That's when it's especially needed, isn't it? Pray that your kindness will be guided by God's wisdom, that it will be discerning, because that's the best kind. And lastly, pray that your kindness will not be idle, but that your kindness will lead to action, and that God might guide you in what that action should be. Second thing, uh, first, pray. Second, remember your fullness. Uh, in a lot of these things, corrective talk, self-talk, corrective thinking, 
is important. It's important that we actually speak to ourselves and remind ourselves of things, um, keep them in the front of our minds. Now, just like we did with peace and forbearance, the kind heart also comes from this sense of security, as we've spoken about, knowing that we are loved by God and we're knowing that that, that, that love for us is invulnerable. Okay, so look at this from Romans 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So what then shall we say in response to this, these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's pretty full, isn't it? Graciously give us all things. You're a Christian, you're full. You're full. And reflecting on God's love is going to, for you, and the inseparable nature of it from you, um, feeds your desire to share it. Remembering those things will help you to share it when you need to. Remembering our security in Christ helps us free us from what we were talking about earlier, that worldly drive to secure everything for ourselves and that always sees others as perpetual threats. You've got it all. You don't, there is no threat. Be kind. You don't lose anything. Third, put yourself in others' shoes. Now, this is especially helpful when being kind to those who are simultaneously you're bearing with, right? Ask yourself, for instance, things like, well, would you switch places with them? Would you rather be them? Put yourself in other shoes. Remember how you felt perhaps in similar circumstances. Imagine what it would be like to be them. Think about what it might be like to be a newcomer somewhere and not know anyone. Think about what it might be to be a migrant in a country that you haven't grown up in and maybe even that the language is, is not the one that you speak or certainly not your heart language. What would that be like? Um, what would it be like to be a stranger somewhere? You ever been at a party where everyone else knows each other and you don't? How, how, do, you, how do you feel then? Um, what's it, what might it be like to be bereaved or to have a, someone you've got to care about day in, day out, who can't care for themselves. See, what does what is putting yourself in others' shoes do? It, it makes your heart go out to them. It makes you try and think, what could I do to help? How could I be kind here? Basically, show sympathy, show empathy. And it can help your heart to be kind and compassionate and merciful. And here's the thing you can do if you don't know, if your imagination is just not that good, ask. Actually get informed. What could I do to help? That must be really hard. What's that like? What would you find beneficial? And that's the kindness that asks the question. Ask the question, get informed. Fourth, keep your eyes open for the good and not just looking for what's wrong or bad or disappointing. Okay? Do you notice good stuff? Right? So when you're in a disagreement with someone, listen charitably first. Try and understand them. Try and think, what could they mean here? Assume good motives before bad motives. But more than that, 
Um, see before you someone who's made in the image of God. Actually open your eyes, because that's what they are. So open your eyes and see it. Look for it. Now, sure, there's going to be aspects of their sinful nature on display, but that's true of you too. If they're a believer, what you should see in front of you is a brother or a sister in Christ. Someone who is going to be with you for eternity and who one day is going to be absolutely perfect just like you're going to be. Have a look at them and see that. Observe the ways that God has gifted them. Notice the way God is shaping them. In church, notice things that are going on that you go, wow, did you see that that happened? How good is that? Um, Delight in noticing these things to the extent that when you see it in others, it fills your heart. And then feed such observations and reflections into your prayer life. You know how Paul says, you know, I thank God every time I think of you, in all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy. You know, and give thanks and praise for what you've seen because you've been looking for it. Intercede for others, that's an act of kindness. Ask God to bless people because, you know, you can actually be kind in your prayers and by praying is an expression of kindness. See, kindness, that's just four things, but kindness is one of... God's most beautiful blessings. What does it do? It feeds love. It feeds joy. It feeds praise. It inspires imitation. It lifts the heart of the one who has it and it lifts the heart of the one who receives it. And it powerfully points to our Saviour Jesus and in the end, that's what we want to do. So why don't I pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you for your abundant kindness to us, embodied in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Help us to rejoice thinking of how full we are because of what you've done, how you have filled us, and then give us a heart that is kind and, and open, that looks for what is good, that seeks out ways to bring blessing to others. We pray that that might bring them joy, but we pray especially that it might point them to Jesus. And we pray that in his name. Amen. Could everybody please stand?